Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Michael Brodeur, and I'm the director of Leaders Alliance, and I'm very excited to be going solo today. We don't have a guest speaker. It's just going to be me. Um, Diane had some other obligations that she had to run to, but we just finished an amazing, amazing uh, presentation of Culture Wars and the Church. Diane and I both spoke, and we're going to make that available upon request to those who want it and want to dig into it a little bit. But I'm going to summarize what we talked about today on this podcast and give you a sense of the flavor of what, of what our position is because I'm the director of Leaders Alliance. Leaders Alliance is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders from the church, the local church, and from the marketplace who have come together to actually bring God's kingdom to bear, to influence every sphere of society. We want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus recommended that we pray. And so my passion is to actually see those in the marketplace serving the local church in a way that strengthens the local church. I want to see the local church actually be raising up sons and daughters, not just so that they can serve in the local church, but so that they can actually impact the world out there. And so we really want to see both of those happening. And right now we're in a very critical moment especially those of us in the U.S., because we just literally had the Supreme Court of the United States just came down with three major decisions over the last uh, couple of days that really, I think, shook everybody up. And uh, they came to these decisions because the majority of the of the uh, uh, SCOTUS, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States, the majority now are constitutionalists. And that's a different legal philosophy than we've had for the last 50 years. The, the, the court in the last 50 years believed that the Constitution was a living document, that it should be interpreted in fresh and new ways, and that ultimately, uh, 49 years ago, Roe versus Wade was codified as a, a, a right under the Constitution, but everybody recognized that it was actually the, the um, judicial uh, department or the judicial branch of government actually going beyond their uh, allocated role, that they were never called upon to determine policy, that they were always determined to actually be that which would look at policy and determine whether it was constitutional or not. And so there's been this debate going on over the last almost 50 years in the United States about was that you know, a legal decision made by a, a branch of government that was never allowed to make legal decisions and so forth. And so there's been this controversy. There's been the pro-lifers and the, and the uh, you know, the pro-abortion people that have been at war over the last 49 years. And finally, the Supreme Court voted in favor of a pro-life position, which again, really wasn't that at all. What it was, was it was a, a, a statement that, wow, we made a decision 49 years ago that was actually not ours to make. It was never 
under the authority, and even Ruth Bader Ginsburg acknowledged this, that it was a, a bad law to pass because it exceeded the authority of the Supreme Court and so forth. And so what they did instead, they didn't ban abortion. What they did was they referred abortion back to the states by representative government and not by a group of unelected justices. And so again, you could say that this was a victory on behalf of, of the Constitution of the United States. But, um, but where we want to go in this particular podcast is a little further. We want to go and zoom out and kind of look at the culture wars in general. Because there's a bunch of them going on right now. And really what it comes down to is that there are two prevailing worldviews that are actually in conflict with each other in our nation and in most of the nations of the world. There is the viewpoint that I would call a biblical worldview. There are those that hold to the Bible as the word of God, and they have developed a way of perceiving the universe based on the word of God. And then there are those who have actually cited other kinds of, um, let's say, wisdom, secular wisdom, humanistic wisdom, postmodern wisdom to determine their worldview. And right now we're seeing those worldviews in dynamic clash, and it's happening right now on the news in front of us. And if you're obviously from a different nation, I know that you're probably aware of what's going on in the United States because our news tends to make it all over the world. And so let's talk about this dynamic together and how this thing works, because uh, I believe that as Christians, we are called to be influencers. In fact, the whole purpose of Leaders Alliance is to equip the body of Christ to influence the world towards God's kingdom, to bring a unity between the church world and the marketplace world, and actually see that synergy produce impact. Because I'm, I'm motivated by two primary things. I'm motivated by the fact that, that I believe that there's a great harvest of souls coming. There's a great revival that we're on the very verge of that's about to break open in society. And I believe that it's essential that we position ourselves in the kingdom of God, in the word of God, in the power of God, and in the presence of God to facilitate this next wave of the Holy Spirit that's about to crash on the earth. And so I'm super excited about helping to prepare the church for what God's about to do in this season. But I'm also concerned because over the last 50 years, the church church has lost an incredible amount of its influence in culture. And so what we've seen is the rise of, of the secularism and the rise of the postmodern thinking and the rise of the critical theory. And it's actually produced this, this culture war that's going on in our world. And you know what? It's, I believe that we need to engage that, that battle. But again, we need to understand it from a biblical perspective, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that the people that are our opponents in, in terms of the discussions that we're having, they're not our enemy, that there is an enemy, that there is a, a, an evil force and principalities and powers that are actually working in humanity to actually drive humanity further and further away from the love and the goodness of God. But that that's our enemy, the enemy of the forces of evil. It says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in unto them. The scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual forces in the heavenly places, that we actually are engaged in a warfare, but it's not against people. 
these people are those that Jesus absolutely loves. He knows every one of them by name. He knows all of their, their issues. Every hair on their head is numbered. He knows exactly every point of their conception on through their life, and he loves them. And he wants every one of them to join him forever in his kingdom. But unfortunately, many will not because the church has been delinquent in our ability to reach the lost and make disciples and actually bring the transformation that we're called to bring. And so that's really what we're all about in this particular podcast. And that's why I'm just kind of taking a summary of what we just discussed uh, with Diane involved as well and kind of presenting it to you. So let me begin with this. I was raised in San Francisco by hippie parents. I was involved pretty much every Saturday in some kind of protest in San Francisco, either against the war in Vietnam or against some of the political prisoners, the people that had been uh, basically prosecuted, you know, the Black Panthers or the Los Siete or some other kind of political issue. I was constantly in favor. I was actually for many, many weeks Penny, uh, collecting signatures to legalize abortion, sadly, and I, I'm so sorry for that. But I was involved in all of those kinds of political activism. There was one time where literally on Market Street with a group of about 60 revolutionaries, I ducked in time just to have a, a billy club pass over my head and smash the window behind me. Um, and then I ran for my life. I mean, I, I've been deeply involved in that. We were actually ran a commune in the Mission District of San Francisco that, that actually had... Uh, you know, we ran by Mao Zedong's Red Book. We actually consulted his, instead of the Bible, we, we resolved our conflicts using uh, Mao Zedong's, uh, quote, wisdom, end quote. Um, anyway, I was an extreme leftist growing up, but I remember at one point that actually my mentor, who is also involved as an activist, he said, Michael, we're never going to change the world through uh, protest. But if you get your law degree, if you become a leader in government, if you become a, uh, a professor in college, that we can actually shape the minds of the next generation. He had a long view. And that's what we see in many of the different manifestos that were written within the different people groups that were protesting government at that time, was that they saw the 40-year long view. And now here we are 40 years later, and we're in the midst of a massive culture war. Okay, how do we as Christians take a stand? And how do we particularly as those in Leaders Alliance? Because I believe our primary call is to influence this world for Jesus. Okay, and so we see this, first of all, demonstrated in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, where um, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt flavors. And if the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. You are the light of the world. You shouldn't put it under a bushel or a basket. You should set it on a hill so everyone can be illuminated. This is the call of God for us, is that we would be world changers. We would be influencers that would actually be flavoring the world back towards the kingdom on a continuous basis, in spite of the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the victories and the failures, that we would be a continuous voice of the heart of God for broken and sinful humanity. And so we see this also repeated a little bit later, that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you should show forth the, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In times past, you were not a people. Now you're the people of God. This is written by, Tim, uh, by, by Peter, I'm sorry. And then also, as we look into Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we say that Jesus died for us so that we would be elevated to be kings and priests on his behalf. In other words, that we would have a place of leadership in the world, that we would have a place of influence. But the influence that we're 
talking about is not an influence of dominance necessarily. No, it's an influence that would be based in the servant leadership model of Jesus, that Jesus could have asserted himself in culture, but he didn't. He could have asserted himself politically, but he didn't. He actually chose to win hearts and thereby change the world. And this is, I believe, what Jesus was talking about when he said in, in chapter 21, I believe it is, of Matthew, he said, the rulers of this world want to lord it over people, but it shall not be so among you. Let, let, uh, he said, if you want to be the leader, you need to be the servant. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. And so in this dynamic, we see servant leadership as the model of Scripture. We see it modeled by Jesus. We see it modeled by Paul. How do we therefore take those examples and begin to utilize them in our generation? Well, that's literally what Leaders Alliance is all about. We're trying to raise up a movement of kingdom-minded men and women who are going to be, bring transformation to culture by being the answer, by being the solution. We are solutionaries. We are the ones who actually will have the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ to be able to bring forth the kind of loving, transformational wisdom that will literally shift the world and pivot the world back towards Christ. And so this is really what we're longing to be and to do. And this week is actually a very pivotal week for that to happen. And so um, anyway, let's let's dive into this uh, this issue. We're called to be salt and light. And I believe that it's imperative for us that we that we walk this out with integrity and that we walk it out with love. You know, one of my favorite passages that I've shared on before is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. I believe it's one of the pivotal architectural verses for the body of Christ, that Jesus, when he ascended on high, gave gifts to the church. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those gifts were given not so that they could parade themselves on stage, but they were given so that they could actually do this. Verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So part of my role as a leader is to equip you and to equip the body of Christ to be effective representatives of Jesus in this earth. So we, we equip the saints until, it says, until we all come in the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God's purpose is that his church would reflect his glory, reflect his wisdom, reflect his love so perfectly in the earth that people would be drawn to be part of that amazing uh, community. All right. And so it says, but then it says something uh, a, a little bit later. It says that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning craftiness of those that are actually deceiving um, in the name of their idea of truth. And, and this is happening all over the body of Christ right now. There's tons of half-truth and there's tons of deceptive dogma that's being shared. And there's universalism on the one hand, there's different uh, errant doctrines on the other hand. We're seeing a lot of people being lulled to sleep. We're seeing wokeism, you know, the idea of, of a progressive sort of worldview permeating the church and beginning to filter through the church in a way that is actually silencing the voice of the church as a clear representation of the Word of God. And so what we see is all these dynamics at work as part of the culture war that is going on right now around us, and we need to take a stand. And the stand that we need to take is in the very next verse, I think it's verse 15, that says, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up into him in all things 
who is the head, even Christ. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that the truth is not a set of principles, although it manifests in principles, but the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. When Jesus was asked, show us the way to God, Jesus said, don't you understand? I am the way and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Okay, so Jesus made this massively uh, arrogant statement, or else it's true, that he is the only way to God, that Jesus was actually absolutely exclusive in his claim to be God in the flesh, and then ultimately the only pathway to heaven, the only pathway to eternal life is through him. Okay, he is the way, but he is also the truth. The truth is a person. And so we need to understand Jesus at the center of everything that we believe, everything that we pro pro proclaim is it's all about him. It's all about the person of Jesus, that God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, it's just such an amazing, incredible gospel that we serve. And that's why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, for in it a righteousness from heaven is revealed, a righteousness not by our works, but a righteousness of faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the gospel, is that through faith in Christ, through that divine encounter with the living Son of God, we can be transformed, we can be born again, our sins can be forgiven, and we can be given a place at the table at the, at the wedding supper of the Lamb forever and ever and ever. And this is the call of God that we bring to this world. But unfortunately, that call has been diminished. And so many, many other calls have gone out. Many other perspectives are being promoted. And so we live in a world where you know, homosexual marriage is you know, celebrated, where, where heterosexual immorality is celebrated, where transgenderism has become basically a normal thing now. You know, we live in a world where greed and, and the abuse of money and the corruption of government has become pretty much normal and systemic, where we've seen racism and other kinds of problems in the world, where there's wars going on and where there's, there's conflict, where diseases are, are just running rampant on the earth. All of these dynamics that are going on in our planet are a result ultimately of human sin. That when we were in alignment with God, when we lived in obedience to his boundaries, that, the, that we lived in a garden of blessing and provision and grace and abundance. But as soon as humanity defied God and chose their own ways instead of his ways, we released a curse on the earth, a separation that took place between us and God, a separation between man and woman, a separation between the generations, a separation between the races, that every conflict, every difficulty, every disease, every problem that is now rampant on the earth was a result of the human beings that had been delegated the responsibility for our planet, turning away from the source of that responsibility, which was God, and ultimately releasing that brokenness. And so here we are, 
in a place where things are just not working very well, where we have the church of Jesus, but the church has been infiltrated with all kinds of uh, brokenness and sinfulness as well. So we're not representing Jesus as purely and as truly as we would want to. At the same time, the world is coming up with solutions and answers that are not based in God's ways, but are based in human ideas and human. Uh, and then, so we have this massive culture war taking place and it's a challenging season to be a believer but the good news is, is that the body of Christ was created for times like this, that we are the people of crisis, that we are the people who shine the most in the darkness, that we are the people who have answers in the midst of the, the uh, riddles and, and the, the problems of society. And so, again, this is where we want to start. So how do we deal with the fact that in the United States, and this is probably happening in your nation as well, that we've had this massive culture war flame up again because of the decisions of our Supreme Court. Well, I think I want to direct us back to Romans 13, because Romans 13, the Apostle Paul was dealing with a group of people who were living under the tyranny of a horrible uh, dictatorial government under the Caesars of their day. And many of them, in fact, it's probable that it was actually during the Caesar season of Nero, who was literally burning Christians at the stake, and and they were, you know, doing these massive uh, gladiator uh, things in the in the Colosseum where they were killing Christians on a repeated basis. I mean, this was a difficult time to be a believer, and Paul is challenging them to walk in as much unity as they can possibly muster with the political forces of their day. Okay. Now this is interesting because again, you know, it, it puzzles us because we want to see, you know, defiance. We want to see uh, civil disobedience and so forth. But Paul basically said, as much as it lies within you, honor your leaders. Now here we are in, in the United States, at least, and most of you are in uh, different different governmental structures, but similar in the sense that they are representative, that most of our countries represented on this call have access to representation where we can vote for our leaders, either parliamentarily or legislatively. We can bring them into power and then they will actually make laws that represent hopefully the constituency of the people. Okay. So we've been invited into the legal process. The, you know, and this was in defiance to the monarchies that had actually ruled the world prior to the establishment of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people 250 years ago. Okay, and so the government that we've been invited into allows for us to actually influence that government according to our values and our priorities. And if our values and priorities are based in a biblical worldview, then thankfully we have the ability um, to represent our worldview in a way that has integrity. And we are just as legitimate in the representation of our worldview as a humanist is in the representation of theirs or a postmodernist is in the representation of their worldview. In other words, we have a right to do so. And from time to time, our worldview will prevail. Okay, and that happened in the last election, not not the most recent one, but the one where Trump was actually put in power because many Christians were reluctant to vote for Trump until he named the gave us an example or a list of those that he would be appointing to the Supreme Court. And that cinched the deal for most believers that voted for uh, Trump was that actually they didn't vote for him. They saw the weaknesses and the problems and the issues in his life. But they actually had this sense that, no. A, a president's only a president for four years, but a, but a justice uh, in the Supreme Court is there for 30 years. 
So let's let's choose on the basis of that. And that's what many people actually did. And that now has borne the fruit of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Okay, as I said earlier, Roe v. Wade was identified by most legal and constitutional scholars as a bad law and that it should have been uh, renounced earlier on. But it wasn't because the prevailing attitude of the justices was that that ultimately the, the document of the Constitution is not to be taken literally, but actually it's malleable and it can be adjusted. And so therefore we have the right to institute a law around the uh, killing of the unborn. All right. And so, again, and I understand both sides of this. I, I honestly hear the hearts of the women who are now afraid because they might have to carry a, a baby to full term and that will affect their career and that will affect their their lifestyles horribly or whatever. I understand that. But I also understand the fact that even though I can affirm that their body should be their choice, once a baby is created and conceived within their body, it's no longer their body. Although that that baby in the womb is dependent upon the mother's body and and up to about 22 to 23 weeks is not viable outside of the mother's body. The fact is, is that it is a separate entity with a separate uh, blood type and a separate DNA and so forth. So, again, I understand both sides of the equation and I really am at the very core of my being pro-life, but I'm not pro-life out of sentiment. I'm pro-life because I have a biblical worldview. I see the, the I see reality through the lens of scripture. And I see that God in Psalm 139 actually, you know, created each one of us in conception and that God actually wrote the days of our lives for us. I, I look at the story of, of Mary and, and Elizabeth, where Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She went to visit her, her aunt or her cousin, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth said her baby leaped in the womb in response to the presence of the Savior in the womb of Mary. I, I just see the biblical worldview is very clear. The scripture goes on again and again about the issue of innocent blood and how we need to be uh, you know, protective of that. It's, it's just clear, but I understand the opposite side. So the question I want to get down to is how do we represent that? Well, governmentally, we participate as believers representing our biblical worldview in our voting and in our political lives. But we also need to understand that, that there's two paradigms in the scripture for how law should be enforced in a given world, okay? And what we mostly have throughout the Old Testament is the legal structure of theocracy that was instituted around Israel. Okay, and so the prophets of Israel would always be calling the people back to their loyalty to the God who is their true king and governor. And so this was one paradigm that we have. And so, so much of the examples of Old Testament uh, obedience to government was based around that paradigm of a theocracy where God himself was the ruler of the people. The people would drift from time to time away from God. God would yank them back or introduce certain consequences to call them back to himself. Okay, But we have another example that took place during the time of the captivity, that we have the example of the Babylonian structure, where in Jeremiah 29, God tells them to go into captivity because they had sinned against the Lord. And so God was going to allow them into the season of captivity. And he said, no, we want you not to resist the leaders of that land, but to bless them. 
And so we see the example of Daniel. We see the example of Esther. Or a little bit earlier, we see the example of Joseph going down in, into Pharaoh's world and actually helping Pharaoh to basically overcome in the midst of a difficult famine. So what we see is we see examples where God's people were put under the authority of a broken system, and they had to respond in a way that honored God, that honored the leader, but didn't compromise their values in the pursuit of that. I believe that right now we're living in a Babylonian paradigm. I believe that the overwhelming course of this world is actually not in compliance with the word of God or with the kingdom of God, but it is actually in, in mostly in opposition to the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from our responsibility to bring kingdom values and influence into the political system. I believe we have that responsibility, but I believe that we are actually in a paradigm now that is different than the theocracy of the Old Testament, that we're in a season where we actually are Daniel, we are Esther, we are working within a contrary system to bring God's influence the best we can. And guess what? It worked. Actually, Esther was able to deliver the people, or Daniel was able to eventually be a counselor to one of the, the kings that actually restored Israel to its, to its land. In other words, I believe that we can win this culture war, but we're not going to win it by by thinking that we're in a theocracy. We're going to win it by a strategy that is similar to Daniel's or Joseph's or Esther's. And so I believe that this is the key to the time we're in. And this is why Leaders Alliance is so focused on this transitional dynamic. And so let me go through a few notes here that I believe will help us. Ultimately, I believe the answer to our quandary is revival. <laughs> I am a revivalist. I'm at the, at the core that I look throughout history, even prior to the Great Reformation. I, I see seasons of revival where God landed upon a group of people and, and God's power and presence was released in a way that called people back to devotion. We see that in the monastic world during the Dark Ages. We see that in the actual season of the Reformation. We see that in the first, second, third grade awakenings. We see it in the Zusa Street. We see it in also in uh, the Great Welsh Revival. In other words, there's been seasons where people have been turned back to God in mass. The most recent big revival that brought a, a great harvest was the Jesus Movement about 50 years ago. And I got swept up in that, and that's how I came to Christ. But I believe that we're due for another one right now. And so I'm, I'm praying. I'm saying, God, pour out your spirit. God, release your, your grace. Let the wave of your Holy Spirit crash over the church again. Let there be a massive reformation that flows out of a, a heart transformation of multitudes. In fact, some people are predicting as many as a billion people will come to Christ in the coming season. I pray for that. But I also say at the same time, don't quit your day job. <laughs> in other words, you know, yeah, you might win the lottery. There's a, you know, one in 10 billion chance you might win, but don't quit your job. In other words, keep working. In other words, we have a day job. Our day job is to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment to love God, to love our neighbors, ourselves, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I command you, including making disciples. And so you and I, we have a job. We have a job description, and we have the power. In fact, in Acts 1 verse 8, 
uh, Jesus said, you know, you're called to influence the world, but don't go yet. Wait for power, and then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So we're called to make disciples in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we are called to actually do this until Jesus returns. All right. And so this is our this is our day job. And every so often, God will sweep in with an amazing season of revival and he will actually correct those things that are out of whack and bring a massive amount of hearts into alignment with his kingdom purposes. And then then we'll see that. But let's let's stand for both. OK, the next thing I want to say, though, is that even though I'm standing for those things and even though I'm, I'm taking a very careful stand as it relates to the political realm, I want to explain how I deal with the, the culture wars from a political standpoint. All right. Because here I am. I was raised very leftist progressive. Uh, when I came to Christ, I kind of became more conservative because conservative values are more consistent with biblical worldview. I even became a Republican for a little while just because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But I finally left the Republican Party because I saw both parties actually have corruption in them. And even though I tend still to be more conservative because the scripture informs me to be a more conservative thinker, I actually also realize that neither party has a corner on righteousness. In fact, if you look at it, the kingdom of God as a circle and you look at a line down the center and there's right and left, I think that neither of those represent the kingdom perfectly. I would probably say I would draw a horizontal line through the center and say, yeah, there's kingdom values in both sides, but there's also a kingdom, anti-kingdom dynamics in both sides. And so it's necessary for us to understand that there are forces at work in culture that are actually doing us harm from both sides. And so it's necessary. Now, again, I'm not against those political people that believe they're, they're strong Christians committed to the gospel and they have a biblical worldview, but they're walking it out in a political party. I affirm that. That's fine with me. But I, I don't think I can do that. In fact, I, I can't do that because the reason I, I chose to be independent is because, and this is sort of my final point that I want to make, is that I am committed to the harvest that is coming. And in every revival throughout history, the majority of those who give their life to Christ do so before the age of 25. We're talking 90% or more. And if you look at current culture and you look at those that are under 25 years old, they're generally on the progressive side of things. They believe in gay marriage. They believe in transgenderism. They believe that, uh, you know, capitalism is bad and Marxism is good. And they're, they're coming at the world because they've been indoctrinated into a certain perspective that, again, I understand that perspective. I was there for many years as a, as a young man. But now I, I see through a different lens. And I believe that the lens of the scripture is the lens through which God himself perceives reality. But I also recognize the fact that not everybody holds that worldview. How do I build a bridge? And how do I avoid unnecessarily polarizing myself in the culture wars? I can still stand up for what is right and true according to Scripture, but I can do so with love and compassion rather than with a, 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 a fighting spirit that sort of, you know, doesn't represent the heart of Jesus. And so this is where... I've chosen to stand is I, I believe that ultimately my primary calling is not to legislate morality. 
although I will still stand and vote for moral outcomes. My primary responsibility is to win the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And he gave me a job description to make disciples of all nations out of every people group that I would win people to Christ. And that ultimately those people would become soul winners as well and disciple makers. And so this is where my heart is. And this is really what's at the very heart of Leaders Alliance. So I'm thankful for you joining us. I feel like this is such a, an amazing season to be alive. I'm so hopeful about the future. It's going to be dicey. It's going to be challenging, but I believe God is going to answer our prayers and he's going to actually bring into this world a, a biblical understanding, a, a, a reasoning that will actually begin to shift people back to a more biblical worldview. And I believe it's on us the, the kingdom of God, the people of God, to be able to be that voice of wisdom, of reason. The scripture says we have the mind of Christ. We need to activate that mind and we need to turn that, that perspective into um, apologetics and also the power of God working together to help win people to a living relationship with the living God. And so I want to encourage you to join us. That's what Leaders Alliance is all about. We have different speakers from week to week. Next week, we're going to have an amazing couple named uh, um, Ken and Lois Gott. They are revivalists to the core, and but they are also reformers. And I just want to you know, encourage you to check them out. We have teaching and training on our website that is amazing. We have over 500 hours of training on how to position yourself as a kingdom person in this strange and broken world. We also have a, a leadership series that we're just releasing. And this leadership series is called uh, Kingdom Leadership Foundations. And we want to recommend that you actually get, get a hold of this. It'll help you to become the leader that God has created you to be so that you can actually influence the world around you, both in the church, but even more importantly, outside the church, that all of us are working in jobs and God's positioned us in different fields and different jobs and different points of expertise so that we would be actually strategically of seasoning the world out there. Praise God that he has us actually out in interacting with those who are holding different perspectives so that we can bring the truth in love in a way that brings transformation to the world around us. So anyway, feel free to join us and, and, and next week for our open house call. And also be, you know, if you want to sign up for the, for the, more thorough, exhaustive statement that Diane and I made at our vision day earlier today. Just let us know and, and we'll just write us at uh, leadersalliance.org and we will help you to kind of get a hold of that content. And also check us out on, on, on uh, different social media as well. We'd love to be connected to you. So God bless you. Let me pray, Father, blessing upon every person listening to this short podcast. I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and that you would enlist them in your army of love to bring the word of God and the worldview of heaven to bear in the lives of those people that they know and interact with. And that, Lord, you would bring revival to our planet and that you would transform this world for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Take care.